Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Peter chapter 3, 3-12. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry, or clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, the Lord, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Harvest. Uh, welcome to those of you who are at home. Just wanted to let you know that this morning during the prayer meeting, we specifically prayed for you. And we, we prayed for everybody, but we prayed for those who are still worshiping at home. Uh, we think about you often and pray for you, and so grateful that you can join us through technology. So we are continuing in First Peter. Last week, uh, we were in this same passage. The title of the message was Stand Firm in Marriage. So obviously, we didn't get through everything in the passage. So this is Stand Firm in Marriage Part 2, and we're going to continue on. But let's just start with a, a brief review of what we covered last week. Uh, we started with everyone uh, follow the example of Christ. Uh, biblical marriage doesn't look like biblical marriage if you don't start with Jesus. You don't start with a list of rules. You start with Christ. Our focus is to be on Christ because our identity is in Christ, not in our spouse or not in being married. That's not our identity. Our identity is in Christ. Then we talked about wives entrusting yourself to the Lord as you submit to your husbands. We talked about roles. We talked about how the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Uh, we talked about what submission looks like. We talked about what submission doesn't look like. It's not a list. It's often something that's worked out over time. It's even worked out in community because each marriage is different. You can't look at this marriage over here and go, well, that's what it looks like. My husband or my wife needs to do that. We need to look at this text of Scripture and say, how do we apply this in our marriage? And you work that out. If you're in a small group and you're talking about your marriage with those in your small group and getting input about it. So everything is specific to each marriage. Uh, and then we talked about the significance of character, of winning your husband by your conduct. If you're in a wives, if you're in a marriage where your wife, your husband's not obeying the Lord, uh, or maybe he's not a believer, you can win him by your conduct. We even heard from my wife about the story of her dad, who wasn't a Christian for 33 years, the first 33 years of their marriage. Uh, and God can use that because living with godly character. Uh, it has an effect. It's not a guarantee. I know that's a great story that we heard from Angie. It's not a guarantee that a husband will get saved or that a husband will change. But living with godly character expresses your trust in God and brings him glory. So that's the review from last week. So we're just going to pick up where we left off, still talking about the significance of character. Peter then turns and says, do not 
focus on external things. He says, focus on the adorning that lasts forever. So as Steve read, you know, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair or the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, I want to, before we, we talk about those two verses, I want to share something with you. Often, I have heard entire messages and even know of books that are written just off those two verses. I want to make something clear. These verses come in context. And we're going to unpack these verses, and there's broad application certainly for them. But remember, these are in the context of talking about character and talking about marriage. So we don't want to just pull these out and try to bring in things that aren't here, but yet there is broad application. And some of the broad application, we need to understand what does adorning mean? We use it. It sounds like a fancy word, adorning. I don't know that I use that in my everyday conversation, but this is what it means. It says, any decoration that is added to remove plainness, using especially jewels and precious metals to enhance beauty. That's what adorning means. And in Peter's day, Roman women used to compete with each other by their dress and their hairdos. They were captivated by the latest fashions of the day. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Has that been in the experience that maybe you've had? I even got an email last week. As I was preparing for last week, I got an email from a Christian publisher, and this was the title of the email. Adorn yourself with jewelry that reflects your faith, up to 75% off. Right? I, at first, I'm thinking, oh, I've got something to... And they, they missed it. This, this is a reality that, that ladies that you face, you have to know. Superficial beauty is external. True beauty is internal. Glamour is something that you can put on and take off. But glamour fades with age. No matter what we do, we, we can't stop the sagging process, the aging process. We can't. Because of the fall, we can't. But it doesn't matter because beauty must come from the heart, not the store. Now, Peter, I want to be clear. Peter did not say, don't take a shower. He's not saying, don't ever wear earrings he doesn't say, don't ever braid your hair. Because as he's talking about the word wearing in this passage, it's, the wearing is really referring to like a gaudy display of jewelry. Like things that you put on to make sure that others will notice you. So that you will stick out. Hey, look at me. So it's possible to wear jewelry or braid your hair or, or makeup and, and, and honor God. But that's not the focus of this passage. Let's come up with some rules of what should you wear, what should you not wear. I want to just speak to the reality that all women are intimately aware, aware. You're intimately aware of your perceived. I mean perceived because it's, it's the world that you are in and what you feel about yourself. You're aware of your perceived imperfections and plainness. Regardless of what other people say, that's what you're aware of. And Peter is encouraging you to be more aware of the things that are unseen than the things that are seen. 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And there is an item there is an item that truly removes imperfections 
and plainness. You might be on the edge of your seat. You're like, what is this item? The item is the blood of Jesus. The item is the blood of Jesus. And every woman and every man here needs to know that truth. So that as you consider what is it that you're called to do in practice, as you look at the inner person, the imperishable beauty, because where it's the hidden person of the heart, you start with the fact that, yeah, regardless of any imperfection that you may perceive that you have or any that you're absolutely aware that you do have, that's covered by the blood of Jesus. Even in our, these natural bodies, they've been corrupted by sin. And one day we are going to have glorified bodies. And that's the one we need to be looking towards. And the, that's the day we need to be looking towards. So that's, it's a heart issue. And we need to take it through the lens of the gospel and that we've been washed by the blood of Jesus. And, and there's a focus here to let your, adorning, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Again, we were talking last week about this is not about a personality trait. I know there's some women that have, you know, kind of stronger personality and they maybe others have a more quiet personality. You're like, well, I'm that strong personality. So I don't know, what are you just telling me? I have to like be a different person than I am? No, I'm saying, I think Peter's saying, be like Jesus. Think about how Jesus interacted with others. Think about how they responded to him. Jesus was super approachable whether it's the woman at the well, whether it was the man who was born blind, Jesus would have had a gentle and quiet spirit. Certainly he spoke boldly. Certainly he confronted those who were religious leaders. But generally speaking, people were drawn to Christ. So Peter is simply saying, be like Christ. Pursue Christ. Be the aroma of Christ. Don't let the makeup and the jewelry be the thing that defines you. Let Christ be the thing that defines you. And I'll let you work out the details. And don't look at your sister and go, well, well she clearly is not letting Jesus shine out of her. No, you, you know who the ladies are that are letting Jesus shine out of them because it doesn't matter actually what they're wearing because they have a glow about them that you can't explain other than by Christ. You know, there, there's ladies like that in our church. I'm not going to start naming them because I don't want to embarrass any of them, but you know who they are. And then Peter goes on and says, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Again, Peter, this is in context. The main point of this passage is not a rubric for what apparel should women have. Not what stores you should shop at. The main point of these verses 3 to 6 is to say, wives, God will watch over you even if your husband is disobedient or if he's not saved. Maybe he's causing difficulties. God will use your pursuit of imperishable beauty to point your husband to Christ. He's going to do that. And then he talks about Sarah. He says, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And then you read that and you're like, is that what you're telling me to call my husband? Are you telling me to call him Lord? I just want to give you some context here of Peter, who he's talking about. Let's just remember who he's talking about. If you think back to Genesis, in Genesis, uh, Sarah and Abraham were not perfect, okay? Okay, this is what happened to them. In Genesis 12, Abraham called Sarah his sister so because he was afraid of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh then takes his wife and puts him in a puts her in his harem, and uh, eventually he finds out that they're married, and he gets upset. Like, Abraham isn't like, like the stellar guy that the wife, like, wants to look up to for leadership. But then, 
Sarah struggles. And then in verse 16, Sarah, she struggles with trusting the Lord. She gives her servant girl because she can't have children. And then verses 17 and 18, the context in which Sarah calls Abraham Lord is when she's expressing her lack of faith in God. Because this is the statement that she makes in Genesis 18, 12. It says, Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out, because remember, she was getting older in years. She says, after I'm worn out, my Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? Meaning, you know, shall I have children? Because she was barren until she was 90 years old. And then she had a child at 90 years old. So it was in, in a time where she was not actually expressing faith. So just remember that. Like, this is not some picture of this wife who doesn't have a brain and she just calls her husband Lord and does whatever. Like, they had struggles in their marriage. I don't know about you, but I, I haven't really interacted with any marriages that kind of looked like theirs. I think you guys are doing pretty good. But Peter is making a statement not to demand a terminology, Peter is encouraging wives to have a disposition towards their husbands that displays trusting the risen Lord, a disposition seen through the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And look at what the text says, which in God's sight is very precious. In God's sight, this action is precious, precious like a gem, like a jewel. One lady in our church really kind of summed this up well. She said, I've had the privilege of knowing women who follow the Lord and therefore are submissive and supportive of their husbands. They have a grace and a humility about them which entices you to follow their example. They do not speak ill of their husbands or other women. On the contrary, they openly share how the Lord guides them in encouraging and loving their husbands. A notable difference you see in these women and their marriages is that the focus is not on themselves. Rather, these women focus on having a heart of service for their husbands and for others. These women entrust themselves to the Lord. The picture is not to figure out how to deal with like a struggle. Remember we talked about it's a picture of like a symphony where when each are playing their part, it's just a beautiful thing that you see. So remember, this, this beauty is in the context of marriage. And so certainly it applies more broadly, certainly to every woman. You can, you can see this, but again, our focus needs to be on Christ. And character matters. Character matters. And it matters for husbands as well. Because as we move along, after, after Peter addresses for six verses, again, why does Peter set six verses on ladies and he only has one verse for wives? If you look in your Bibles, I don't know how your Bible is laid out, but as they translate, you know, the original language doesn't translate into kind of the way our paragraphs are. In the Greek, it's just kind of like one long run-on sentence. But as the English translators figure it out, they're like, this is a clear thought. So the English translators make one to six a paragraph and verse seven, its own paragraph. So like, even though it doesn't have as many words, it's got its own paragraph because there's clearly some things that need to be communicated to husbands and husbands, we need to entrust ourselves to the Lord as we endeavor to understand and honor our wives. Because we start right here in verse 7 at likewise. Likewise. Remember, we talked about likewise last week. Likewise is like a therefore. It's pointing to something that came before. It's pointing us back to what's happened in 1 Peter. There is a manner in which husbands carry out headship in the home. It looks like something. Again, in 1 Peter 1, 
Peter says, therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In 1 Peter 1, 16, he writes, you shall be holy for I am holy. In 1 Peter 1, 22 to 23, he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Husbands, we must first look to Christ. Turn back in your Bibles. I know we've read this two weeks ago. Uh, in the message, we read it th- last week, but we're going to read it again. Look at your Bibles at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 21. Because when Peter says likewise, this is who you're supposed to be like. Likewise. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Husbands, you you really don't need verse 7 to figure out what it looks like to lead in your home. I'm glad that Peter shares it and gives us some insight. But frankly, as husbands, if we spend our time in those verses at the end of chapter two, I think there will be powerful transformation that will happen in your marriage because you will be pursuing Christ and become more like Christ. And that will be something your wife will be more than excited to submit to and interact with because you will be the aroma of Christ, not something else. If, if we are doing that, it changes, it changes completely how you read verse 7. It changes completely how, as a husband, you read verses 1 to 6. So when you read verses 1 to 6, you aren't going to your wife and going, hey, are you doing this? Are you doing this thing right here? Are you doing this thing right here? No, because if you've spent time in chapter 2, verses 21 and following, you are going to be humbled that you are called to lead a woman who is God's daughter. Look, it says in the middle of verse 7, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, you must feel the weight uh, you are called to care for and love someone for whom Christ died. And when you read verses 1 to 6, you should be sobered that your wife is called to submit to a sinner you. I know there's times that I'll be with small group, we might joke about that, but when I really think about what my wife is called to, I'm sobered because I miss the mark. I'm more like Abraham than I would like to admit. So we, we need to be sobered, brothers, It's a high calling that we're called to. And Peter gives us a roadmap of what to do, what this looks like. And he he just gives us a few things because we, honestly, I think we have a hard time figuring it out. So he just makes it really simple. And he says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. He says, live with them. Live means like cohabitate as one Flesh, not just we live in the same at the same address. You don't just live at the same address. In Ephesians 5, we learn that the two become one flesh. When you get married, it's not a, a contractual arrangement. You're not just a, agreeing to a set of terms. No, you aren't two ships passing in the night. You're not two independent beings. You 
have engaged in the covenant of marriage and become one. And so live together knowing that you're one. Spend time together. Communicate with one another. I couldn't find the reference to this survey, but there, uh, there was one survey that revealed that the average husband and wife had 37 minutes a week together in actual communication. 37 minutes. I don't know how, there's plenty of things you probably spend more than 37 minutes doing. Maybe showering or bathing or uh, brushing your teeth. Uh, some of you are really diligent. Some of you are like, no, I'm not even close to that with that one. Eating. There's, there's plenty of things you easily hit, but that a lot of couples, they're just, we're just not communicating. And, and you're not communicating, guys, sometimes because it's hard. There's a reason, as I interacted with my wife, as she was going through college, uh, she took some classes about education, and she made the statement that's always stuck with me. She's like, girls talk and boys make noises. That's what she said. And I was like, ha, 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 ha. But you know, it's true. Like, right? If you go and hang out and harvest kids, like, the boys are, like, running the trucks, and they've got, like, the coolest noises, and the girls are just, like, chitty-chatting. And, and, and generally speaking, that's kind of how it looks as they get older. And so guys don't know what to do. They don't know how to talk or how to communicate. I'm a weird one. I'm the one who talks all the time in our marriage. So I'm just an oddball. But even in that, it's hard because that doesn't mean I know how to communicate because I know how to talk. It just means I like to hear the sound of my voice. But Peter's calling us to something deeper, husbands. He's saying, live with your wives in an understanding way. Have a functional knowledge about your wife. So I, I say those words specifically, have a functional knowledge. Don't just have details. Learn details with the goal of doing something that you learn. If, if I'm going to do a wedding of Bubba and Babs, Bubba and Babs are in premarital counseling with Angie and I, I say, Bubba, here's something you got to learn. Before you even say I do at the altar, you gotta have this conviction. Bob was like, okay, I can listen. What, what do you want? You need to go to Bab's school. What does that mean? You need to go to school to learn about her. You need to acquire knowledge and understanding because you need to put that knowledge into practice. It's not just about reading a general book. No, you got one wife and you need to get to know that wife. You don't need to go to school on how all other wives interact about things. You don't even have to go, well, this is how my mom interacted about things. No, you need to learn how your wife deals with things or understands things or has emotions or how she responds or her personality or her interests. You've got to go to Bab school. I have to go to Angie school. I've not graduated yet, just so you know. I'm, I'm in the remedial class in Angie school because I have a lot to learn. It seems like whenever I, I learn something, I think I've got a victory, and then I realize I've been misunderstanding this other thing for 20 years. So I need to continue to go to Angie School because one commentator shared this. He said, ignorance is dangerous in any area of life, but it is especially dangerous in a marriage. A Christian husband needs to know his wife's moods, her feelings, her needs, her fears, and hopes. He needs to listen with his heart and share meaningful communication with her. Now, some of you men are like, you lost me at moods. I don't even know what the other words are that you just said in that quote. I, I don't know how to do this. Guys, you can't do it without Christ. 
You can't. There's a reason that the divorce rate is as high as it is. is because you can't do it without Christ. If you don't start with Christ, if you don't start with, I'm going to lay my life down. If you don't start with, I'm going to serve. If you don't start with the fact that you aren't God and you have to learn. Don't assume that you know. And ask. Take a step and trust God. You know, take, take a chair and you, you pull it up and then you pull up a chair and then, then you ask her questions. And this is going to be a hard thing for you to do. When you ask a question, because you're, you're seeking to understand. Again, we're staying here in the text. You're trying to get understanding. I can read a manual on how to fix something in my house, but I've read plenty of manuals and totally botched the project because, you know, the manual doesn't quite always share it, but I need to have understanding. And when I have understanding, I'm like, oh. I mean, usually understanding comes from doing the project twice, and often that happens in my marriage too, like just as we work through it. But sit down, ask the question, and seek to understand. And when you think you understand, repeat it back to your wife and say, hey, is this what you said? And then when she says it, this is the tough one, guys. When she says it, then, then do it. Like, don't think that I've accomplished something because I, I actually communicated. I need a little ribbon or a snack or something because I did it. No, like, like do it. Like, take that step. And the more that you do it, brothers, the more it won't feel like this mountain that you're climbing. And ladies, you have to understand if they're going to Bab school, if I'm going to Angie school, I need her help. I need her to communicate because she's the only one that has the understanding to teach this class. She's the only one. She's the all-knowing one about her. Your wife is the one who knows about her. Obviously, God knows all about her. So you certainly want to seek his word, but you want to, ladies, you got to help him and share those things with him and understand, oh, you know, I know I told you that, but it, it looks like you didn't, you didn't quite understand what, what I was saying. And it's going to be just constant communication back and forth. Pursue a functional knowledge about your wife. And it doesn't always have to make sense. It, it doesn't always have to make sense. The things that she likes sometimes won't ever make sense to you. My wife loves to go to home improvement stores, to the curtain section. I want to go to the tool section. And she wants to go to the... I didn't even know there was a curtain section in a home improvement. That just makes no sense to me. So when we go, we walk right past the tools and we go to the curtain section or the flower section. Those are for outside. We're inside. I don't want to go to the... I don't understand those interests, but I understand that, that she enjoys those things. And your wife is going to be different than my wife and the things that she enjoys and the way that you're going to express love to her, the way that you're going to care for her. You've got to make some of those deposits because when you're called to lead and make some challenging decisions, you want to make those deposits. You want to make sure that she knows that you've made the effort and worked hard to try to understand her. And it's hard and it's a high calling but it's possible because of Christ. It's possible because of Christ. I've seen it happen in marriages. So pursue a functional knowledge about your wife. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. So the second half that Peter's saying is show honor to your wife. Now, I know, husbands, that, that chivalry has some would say chivalry is dead, or at least it, you don't see it very often in our culture, where the wife is 
uh, where, where the husband is showing honor, or even just in general, where men are showing honor to women. But you're called to be a knight in shining armor, as it were, who treats his wife like a princess. By the way, Sarah, uh, uh, kind of a way you can translate that is actually princess. I thought that was interesting. Giving honor means that the husband respects his wife's desires. He's sensitive to her feelings. He protects her because the term weaker that Peter's using, he's using a word that's actually referring to strength. He is not suggesting in any way that the wife is inferior or is some kind of way mentally weak. No, he's referring to actual strength. I know there are exceptions, but biologically, God made men stronger than women. Men's capacity to get physically strong is, is just greater. And husbands, we are called to use that strength to protect. One pastor's name is Matt Chandler. This is an excerpt from something that he wrote. He's addressing husbands. He says, if you hear a bump in the night, men, do you go, baby, go check that out. I'm frightened. Do you do that? Hey, baby, the, the dog's going nuts. Get down there. You don't. Are you serious? Surely you didn't, and surely you've never done that. If you have and you're feeling shame, you should feel that shame. I'm, I'm not taking that off of you. I agree with Matt Chandler, so I hope I'm trying to speak with the intensity that I think he would speak with. He says, no, we go down. We check it out. We're the ones that go check out the bump in the night because we are physically stronger. We put ourselves out there, men. We do. I think this extends beyond just husbands because boys, you should be cultivating this now. Dads, you should be communicating this with your sons at the youngest possible age. They're the one that goes down. Even the secular culture understands this. Even unbelievers know this is true. Let me give you an example how it played out, how this played out. On July 20th, 2012, I don't know if you remember, but in a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado, three young men, all under the age of 30, took their girlfriends to a movie. Not their wives, not their mothers. They took their girlfriends to a midnight showing of a movie called The Dark Knight Rises. And 20-something minutes into the movie, a man who had lost his mind popped off tear gas canisters in the theater, lifted up a semi-automatic rifle, and began to randomly shoot in the theater. All three of these young men under the age of 30 grabbed their girlfriends, not their wives, not their mothers, threw them down on the floor, and threw their bodies on top of their girlfriends. All three were shot and killed. All three of the girlfriends were wounded. They were wounded when bullets passed through their boyfriends and struck their bodies. Throughout the world, these men were heralded as its heroes because these men exemplified what it should look like for us. Adam blamed his wife for the sin that happened. But he is the one responsible for allowing sin to enter the cosmos. Men, you must understand the gravity of the role that God has called us to. And we must use the strength in such a way that will bring glory to God. We are called to lay our lives down. We are not called to demand that our wives do anything. We are called to point them to Jesus first by showing them what Jesus did and he's the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice by laying his life down so that we could have a relationship with God. And if you have never trusted in the Lord Jesus, I exhort you to trust in him today.
man, our lives should increasingly look like this. And if it doesn't, the first place we need to go is we need to repent and we need to trust in the Lord Jesus. So when Peter says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. We know the path to get there because of the path that Jesus took. Peter isn't playing games because he says at the end of this verse, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That phrase is so helpful to me because it hangs over my head every time I sin against my wife. I can't wrestle it out. I can try to run beyond it, but there's an awareness. I, I, I want to go cry out to God, and he's not going to listen to me if I am willfully choosing to sin by not laying my life down, by not seeking to live with my wife in an understanding way. And we should feel the weight of that, men. But we should know that we have the ability to grow in this area because of Christ. Jesus made a way for us. Jesus hung on the cross for us. Jesus died for all the times that we failed uh, in our marriages. Jesus died for all the times that we didn't take on that role to lay our lives down. But we don't have to continue to be that man. We can be the new man that he recreated us to be. So what will that look like in your marriages? The same conversation is the same as uh, what does submission look like for wives? It's going to look a little bit different in every marriage. It's not about a personality trait. It's about a disposition before the Lord. The, the guys go down. The girl goes free. The guy is the one that goes down. Whether he's three years old or 30 years old. Maybe you've read the article recently. There was a young boy whose sister was going to be attacked, I think, by a dog, and he put himself in the way and got, I forget how many stitches. Because even in a young man, he understood this truth. Show honor to your wife. Have a functional knowledge if you feel woefully deficient, join the club and start today. Just start today. And no, this isn't where the passage ends. Because Peter doesn't just go, do this, men. God's not going to listen to you. Suck it up. That's not where he ends. Remember, we want to take all these things in context. Look at your Bibles. This is where he's going. After he shares this, he says, finally, all of you. He addresses both husbands and wives. I think he's addressing everyone, not just those who are married, but those who aren't married. He says, finally, all of you commit to bless as you have been blessed. He talks about Jesus. He says, likewise, wives. And then he says, likewise, husbands. And then he finally says, here is something for everyone. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. He doesn't stop there. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. No gossiping about your spouse. No complaining about your spouse. Bless, seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
I honestly had plenty of fruitless discussions about verses one to seven in the early years of my marriage. And why was that? Because I was just focusing on those particular verses and we just kind of try to pull it out of context and use it the way that I wanted to use it. But if we read these seven verses in context, addressing husbands and wives, we read them with four or five verses pointing us to Christ. And then we read five verses of showing us what does interaction with our spouse look like. So none of us should go, I don't really know what that looks like. Well, I can't exactly tell you what it's specifically of every little detail in your marriage, but I can say, I think you've got a pretty good list. Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, humble mind, tender heart. Not paying, repaying evil for evil. If our, if our endeavor is to pursue Christ and to display Christ in such a way that's described in verses 8 to 12, I think we'll figure out verses 1 to 7. I honestly think they won't be that hard. But what I do know is as we pursue Christ, it will display something to a lost and dying world that they are not seeing. So men, I want to encourage you. Ask your wives, how am I being a hindrance or a stumbling block to you as you have tried to apply the truth of this passage? Because it's not easy to submit to a sinner. Don't start with, hey, remember what he said in verses 1 to 6. Start with, hey, how have I not helped you to bring glory to God and obey his word? Wives, ask your husband the same question. I want to encourage you to ask your husbands, how am I being a hindrance or a stumbling block to you as you've tried to apply the truth of this passage? It's a sobering calling to be the head of a family to lay down one's life in the way that Jesus laid down his life. That's sobering. The picture that Peter gives us is not one of do this or do that. It's one of pursuing one another. Pursuing one another because we've been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ because our hope is in Christ, not in our spouse. The couples that I know that exemplify this passage, this is the one thing that differentiates them. It's not that they came up with the list of how to apply it. It's that they have taken the time to be in their prayer closet before God to pursue Christ, to know him and to make him known. And it has transformed them, wives and husbands. Because I've seen husbands who have unbelieving wives. If the, as the husband pursues Christ, it makes a difference. Or if they're just simply in conflict, when we go and we pursue Christ, that makes all of the difference. They abide in Christ. It's the first thing on our list as we want to make disciples is abiding in Christ. Why? Because that makes the difference for everything. So I know this can be hard. This can be hard because the culture pushes against the biblical design for marriage. This can be hard because maybe you've been married for years and you've just increasingly, you butt heads. This can be hard because you've, you've been hurt and disappointed and there's scars. This can be hard because maybe you are getting ready to be married, you'd like to be married, and it just looks so scary out there. How can that happen? But friends, we need to start where this passage started. Likewise. And we need to look to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we could talk all afternoon and into the week and have a conference next weekend about marriage. 
there are so many things that we even need to talk about. But I ask God that you would use this seed that you have planted in our hearts as we have studied your word to make a difference in the marriages in our church. Not just in the marriages that exist, but even in marriages that could come in the future. But ultimately, Lord, that you would help us to look to the great marriage that's going to come and that will be celebrated at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So I ask, Father, that you would help us to see Christ as we review these passages in our homes. Help us. Help us as husbands. Help us as wives to be humble and to let the word open us up. Father, I pray that you would particularly be with the husbands, that they would come to their wives as as you would come to a flower at the beginning of spring. The bud is there and it may not be open. And I pray, God, that we would be patient men, that we would ask the questions and see that flower open up to see the beauty that is there, the imperishable beauty that already exists there, not something that they have to strive for, but it exists because they are found in Christ Jesus. And I pray, God, that our pursuit mostly would be to point that out so that they would see that and that they would flourish and that we would see the marriages in our church go from good to great and great to awesome. And I pray, God, for those here who aren't married, that in no way that they would feel left out as if this has no application for them. Lord, we're looking to the one wasn't married in this life. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and I pray, God, that that would be our hope and that we would see him in this passage and be transformed by that. And we ask all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Why don't we stand and respond? Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.